What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind-blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transformed. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back to Transformed. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford, and of course, I have the privilege of being your host. Thank you for all of you who've been writing in. Uh, thanks for all the positive feedback. I have been so encouraged by the way that God has used this this show, this podcast to help minister to folks. And you would be surprised how many emails I'm getting on a weekly basis, which I love for two reasons. I love it, first of all, because that shows that people are listening and engaging. But then I love it, too, because I want to help serve and answer questions. And I'm, I'm not surprised that most of the questions are how-to questions, meaning no one's written in and, and asked about the doctrine of the Trinity yet, and that could happen pretty soon. Uh, no one's written in and asked about the deity of Christ and the hypostatic union, but most people are writing in saying, what about this particular scenario? So keep doing that. I appreciate that. Today, I'm actually going to use one of the questions to help frame an episode, and we're going to talk about self-love or self-compassion. I received an email from Tom in Sydney, Australia, and Tom asked this, what is a biblical perspective on self-love or what is a perspective on self-love and self-compassion? And in that vein, just wanting to know, is it good? Is it bad? We often hear things like you have to love yourself well to love others well. You know, what do we, what do we as Christians actually think about that? Well, you'll be surprised or, or maybe not surprised. I don't know. But it depends on the pocket of the world that you're in. There are certain denominations that are really big on self-love. And it, it feels almost like self-esteem has creeped its way into the Bible. And then the Bible is used to promote self-esteem and self-love. The way that I see it come out in counseling is that folks will, in almost a me-centered fashion, kind of make the gospel about me. Jesus came for me. I am so valuable. I'm a son of the king. I'm a daughter of the king. And it's really about us in the end and not about God and his glory or not about Christ. So self-love, it, it's infectious if we're not careful because it starts to actually warp a view of the gospel. But let me try to share with you some of where I have seen the proof text for self-love come in. So if you have a Bible, turn over to Matthew. This is kind of the section in Matthew where Jesus is being peppered with questions, Matthew chapter 22. And it's, it's like the, the final effort to catch Jesus in something that is going to indict him. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, everybody's coming up with their question to Jesus to, to try to get him. And again, after each occurrence, he keeps stumping them, and it will, it'll be settled whenever he quotes for them the Psalms in verse 41 and following and says, you know, who is, how can David say this? But in this particular question, you'll recall that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Matthew 22, verse 34, they heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the Shema that comes from Deuteronomy 6. They should know that. Obviously, they knew that. Verse 38, this is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Well, that love your neighbor as yourself has been used by some in the self-love movement to say, in order for me to love other people well, I have to love myself well. In order for me to be a good neighbor to you, I have to be a good neighbor to me. I have to take care of me to be able to help you. Uh, so self-compassion, self-love, it's almost mobilized through through uh, commands like this in the scripture. Or think of the golden rule. You have it in Matthew, you have it in Luke, that treat others as you yourself would like to be treated. Well, I have to treat myself the way I would like to be treated, and then I have to expect that you're going to be treating me that way, and then I'm going to treat you the way that I want to be treated. So it, it starts to move from loving other people to loving yourself first and then loving other people. And I think exegetically, as you're trying to dig out of the scripture, what's happening in those instances, I think you're hard pressed to be able to say that is what Jesus was saying with the second greatest commandment, that you need to love yourself first and then love others out of that self-love. In fact, I think what you're doing is actually letting humanistic psychology start to inform the way that you read the Bible. And I think the self-esteem movement is going to be directly responsible for some of that infection of the way that you read the Bible. I'll show you here in a moment that to be a lover of self is not something that's commended in the scripture. It's not put forward as something that you should pursue. So a lot of the self-love ideology for Christians, it's going to come from really those two passages and primarily love others like yourself or as yourself. And if you're going to build an entire a teaching of self-love based off of such a small scripture, that's just bad hermeneutics. That's bad practice of studying the Bible, number one. So now here is kind of the idea. If I'm going to love you well, I, I must love me well. I, I must love me first. So let me share with you an article as I was preparing for today. It was uh, an article from Psychology Today, and it talks about how to cultivate self-love. It says, number one, become mindful. People who have more self-love tend to know what they think, feel, and want. Act on what you need rather than what you want. You love yourself when you can turn away from something that feels good and exciting to what you need to stay strong, centered, and moving forward in your life instead. Number three, practice good self-care. Number four, set boundaries. And remember, we had a, an entire episode on setting boundaries and a biblical perspective of that. Number five, protect yourself. And in this article, the therapist is talking primarily about getting people out of your life that are not contributing to your well-being. Number six, forgive yourself. And then number seven, live intentionally. And as I was reading through that, I thought, man, like here is self-love in a nutshell. It's about you. It's about you. It's about shifting the focus of life to you. And now friends exist for you. Meals exist for you. Sleep exists for you. But that's an inherently problematic view because our lives are not about us ourselves. Our, our lives are not about us, number one. Like when we read the Bible, we are not the center of that story. Jesus Christ is. And so when we begin to let self-love infect our minds, what takes place is all of these things, instead of them being for him, through him, and to him, Romans eleven thirty six, it's now for me, 
from me, through me, to me, all of that. It's about me. And what self-love can do then is tap into your innate or your natural desire to make yourself number one and legitimize it with quasi-applicable Bible verses, things that really aren't teaching that. Let me share with you just a couple of other passages, and these are going to point to the the definite problem of self-love teaching. Okay, I'm turning over to 2 Timothy for those of you that are hands-free and you have an opportunity to, to grab your Bible. I hope you would do that. It's just a good discipline to stay up on. It keeps you familiar with the Scripture, and it'll help you remember things. So turn to 2 Timothy. Look at what Paul warns Paul about in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 and 2. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. Verse two says, here is an indication that things are getting worse. People are going to be a lover of themselves. The indication of times getting worse is that we actually grow in love for ourselves. The problem with self-love teaching is that the Bible doesn't support it. When I say exegetically, I just mean that when you exposit and draw out of the scripture accurately, you're not going to find the Bible supporting self-love. You're going to find the Bible actually repudiating it and saying that's part of the problem. We love ourselves too much. We have this default mode. So one of the things that Paul reminds husbands of in Ephesians 5 is that he says, you're to love your wife like your own body, Ephesians 5.28. And then he says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. This is the idea. No one by birth, by nature, in your first Adam, no one born into this world that is affected by the fall of Genesis 3 hates themselves. No one hates himself. Now, that means that there are people that may have a skewed view of themselves. They may have a low view of themselves. But by default, we actually love ourselves. And that's part of the problem is that that type of love can only be remedied through the gospel. We can only be set free through the gospel of our own self-love. So if I begin to say self-love is something that's admirable, self-love is something that I must pursue in order to love others well, it's almost like I'm exalting my natural state apart from Christ. Like I, I want to go back to default mode. And sanctification means that I should be growing from my self-love to love for Christ and love for others. So due to the fall, we are all lovers of self by nature, and we need Christ to set us free from that self-love. So I'm going to take a short break here. When we come back, I want to pick up with this idea of what do we do then with this idea of self-love? Does this mean that we stay up all night? All night? Excuse me. Does it mean that we eat Cheetos and never exercise? Like, how do I begin to interpret that? Well, uh, I'm not going to take your Cheetos from you, but come back and we'll begin to dig into what this practically means. We'll be right back. All right, well, we're going to hit the pause button real quick. 
here on Transformed this week because I've got some really good stuff I want to share with you today and I don't want you to miss any of this. First up, I'm going to give you some information that will help you dig a little bit deeper into the area of self-love and self-care because there's a book available in the Transform store right now by Dr. Jay Adams titled The Biblical View of Self-Esteem, Self-Love, and Self-Image. Here's a quote from Dr. Adams. He says, self-love as an end in itself turns out to be self-destructive, but when love of God fills the void, it nurtures a healthy self-love. Self-love is not necessarily our enemy. It's a misplaced self-love that becomes a problem. It's a powerful resource. I recommend it. It's available at transformed.org. Now, while you're cruising around transformed.org, would you consider possibly becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? Look, we love bringing you Transformed, and we want to continue bringing you resources like Transformed, Road Trip to Truth, Wretched Radio and TV, Breaking Bread, and the all of the resources that you'll find available on on our website, but we need your help in order to do that. Just think about this for a moment. Imagine how impactful it would be for Dr. Gifford's wisdom to reach even more hearts one episode at a time. Just think that through. Think about that. Think about what it would look like in your life for you to join us in this journey by becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. And you can find out more information and answers to any question you may possibly have by visiting transformed.org. And speaking of fueling ministries and helping people through the trials in their lives, boy, we sure do need more biblical counselors in our churches. We, we, we really do. And if you have ever considered becoming a biblical counselor, I would urge you to do that. And if you still have to think about it, I would urge you to get the journey started now. And you can pick up resources that can help you get the ball rolling at transform.org, like The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Sandy says, true reconciliation is more than just resolving conflict. It involves taking proactive steps to achieve positive relationships and redemptive outcomes. That's just one excerpt that you'll find in The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. It is a book that is on the bookshelf of every single biblical counselor, certified biblical counselor, and it needs to be on yours as well. And again, it's available on our website at transformed.org. And now let's get back to Dr. Greg Gifford as he continues his conversation on self-love and self-care. This is Transformed. Welcome back to Transform. The world's definition of beauty is simply not found in the Bible. Instead, the Bible informs us that true beauty is defined not by this world, but by God Himself. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. Okay, welcome back. For those of you that are just joining us, we've been talking through the idea of self-love. When we first came to Christ, according to Luke 9, 23 to 25, the call to discipleship was one where we had to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. Uh, not to actuate ourselves, not to become the best self that we can be, not to unlock our potential. That's what humanistic psychology wants to teach us is to say, you are innately good. We want you to become better. And frankly, I think most of us enjoy that. It's like, oh, I am innately good. Yeah. You know, like maybe I'm this closet superhero that just needs to be unleashed. 
where's that like radioactive spider that's going to bite me and finally set me free? But the problem is that's just not true. And if you live enough life, you will recognize that we are not innately good, that we are innately fallen and twisted and warped. And the image of God that was once perfect in us is now destroyed and not to be gone, but definitely to be marred. So when we understand ourselves through the lens of Scripture, that we are not these good people that just need to be released, that we are born these bad people and we need forgiveness in Christ to be made good. So how do we come to Christ? It begins with denying ourselves. If that hasn't happened in your life, then you have to ask yourself hard questions about, am I genuinely a follower of Christ or have I made Christ a means to following me? Because if that's the way that we are approaching our Christian life, then something or someone else is still God in our life other than God, Christ, or the Spirit. Secondarily, I'm actually going to turn over to this passage in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul talks about our sanctification and our Christian walk on multiple occasions with the idea of a race or with the idea of an athletic competition. James is going to use the idea of receiving a crown at the end to communicate kind of this race and a successful competition. So even as a non-runner, we can at least conceptualize what Paul is saying here. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Here's the reality. Paul makes our Christian walk similar to that of a race or similar to that of a boxing competition. And you, you may not be a runner. I'm not a runner. But we do know that there is discipline that goes into running a marathon, that none of us most likely could get off the couch today, never have trained for that marathon, and then go run whatever it is. It's like 26.2 or whatever all the stickers are you see on the bumpers around town. I, I, I couldn't do that. If you were to ask me to run 20-something miles, I'd probably die in the process. It takes discipline to get to that level. And Paul says that's what your Christian life is like, that you are to run as one who is focused on the eternal price, that you are looking forward to that reception of the crown of life. And whenever he's finishing his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I'm ready. I've run the race. Like, it's it's time. Part of that, that analogy is to help teach self-control and self-discipline. Our Christian life is to be marked by actually denying ourselves and resisting what comes natural to us, not necessarily honoring ourselves, not giving ourselves what ourself wants, not surrounding ourselves with comfort and ease and sweet vacations, but saying, you know what, in order for me to be successful like, like the athlete of the boxer or the runner, I need to deny myself. Paul's even going to tell Timothy, you are to discipline yourself for godliness. So sanctification in the Christian life entails self-denial. So you start the following of Christ with self-denial. Your sanctification necessitates self-denial. And a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, technically it's an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, is self-control. That you are a person that does not give yourself what you naturally want. And that through God's spirit, you are able to deny yourself what you naturally wanted. That is what the scripture speaks of. So self-love can slowly start to move toward us making us the most important. 
But scripture says, in order for you to be a follower of Christ, he is Lord and not you. We are to love him supremely. We're to put Christ first as Lord, not ourselves. So if I mean by self-love that I need to take care of myself first, that I need to make sure that I am you know, well-respected, that I'm only around people that are going to like prize and value and love me, I think it starts to get murky very quickly. In fact, I think you're starting to move from this centrality of Christ in all things. The scripture is very clear that it is God first, it's others second, and then it's us third. So it's thinking through this idea of if I am number one, then I am getting self-love incorrect. So what about the practicalities then? So inevitably, maybe Tom, you're thinking this, or maybe others are thinking this as you're listening to this episode. What does that mean that we're to kind of run ourselves ragged or that we are to neglect sleep so we can help our neighbor move type thing, that I'm going to neglect eating well so I can serve at my church? Like, is that practically what the scripture is talking about? So remember that idea of self-care is a big part of self-love. And self-love ideology is you need to eat well, you need to be rested, you need to make sure that you take enough time off, like we don't want you to be running ragged. What I would say is that the Christian who has Christ first pursues those things as an act of stewardship motivated by a desire to please the Lord rather than a desire for you to be the best you or for you to be the most taken care of. So what do I mean by that? You want to have a good night's rest so that you can be refreshed and ready to serve Christ the next day, or that you do your best to stay somewhat in shape so that you can honor Christ and serve others well or that there is a a level of discipline you bring to your diet and your nutrition, not because you want to feel the best, not so you want to feel confident in who you are, but because you want to be healthy and you want to do your best to steward the body that God has given to you. So that's a totally different motivation. It's not about my self-confidence anymore, which is why a person can be exercising. It's about, I want to serve Christ and I want to be healthy and fit to, to do that. Or I want to steward the body that he's given me well. So I can't eat all of the Cheetos that I would love to eat on a regular basis. And trust me, I would love to eat a lot of Cheetos on a regular basis. So what about self-care? We kind of couch it in that language. It's not about us. It's about Christ. And even the way that we steward our bodies is still about Christ and not about us. What about those that uh, the world would say you need to draw boundaries with? Or what about those that you need to put up barriers between Uh, In that Psychology Today article, they use the term frenemies, like you need to get rid of those people who enjoy seeing you writhe in pain. And uh, what I would say is that, first of all, our motivation is to honor the Lord. And when we are in relationship with difficult people, we're going to love and do good to them. But there may be confrontations and there may be things that need to take place to ensure that they do not perpetuate evil toward us. But I am still going to do good to all people, and I'm still going to love everyone. That is the biblical command. So if I'm not careful self-love, then I just start to ghost people in the name of self-love. Like, they're not healthy for me, so I'm cutting them out of my life. I don't appreciate what they said, so I'm cutting them out of my life. Well, I would say that's not necessarily a biblical response, and some of it is misinformed by this idea of faulty self-love. So remember, Our number one call in life is to love Christ and deny self. That's the basis of your conversion is denying yourself and making Christ Lord, no longer yourself. So let me finish with some of these comments. So how do you think about self-love? Well, I would say think about the self-care aspects as stewardship. 
But think about really that your goal is to try to love others in the way that you already love yourself. That's the illustration of Matthew 22, is that there is the assumption that the husband already loves his body immensely in Ephesians 5. So he's to love his wife like he already loves himself, not love himself more so he can love her. So when we see these nuances, it keeps Christ at the center and it keeps others at the center. And it doesn't, in a way, weaponize the scripture to say, you need to love you before you can love others. Guys, if you're hearing that, if you're hearing that from your pastor, if you're hearing that from a teacher, if you're hearing that from a a spiritual leader in your life, you need to be very cautious about that because that is not a biblically derived idea. That idea is sourced in humanistic or human-centered psychology. Philippians 2, 3 to 5, do nothing from selfish ambition. But in verse 5, have this mind, this way of thinking among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Humility, putting others first, honoring the Lord first. So we need to be done for today. Tom, thanks for that question and helping prompt some of this conversation. Let me pray for us as we finish. Lord, we all love us immensely. Uh, We love our comforts. We love when people respect us. We love when people flatter us and encourage us. And may we continue to fight to love you supremely and deny ourselves. May you you and your grace remind us that we are not the center of this universe, but you are. And may that be freeing and liberating so that we can serve others and serve you in a way that is genuinely motivated by hearts that that don't want people to make us look good, but we want people to honor you and, and show how good you already look, Lord. Give us grace for that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, a production of Gospel Partners Media. Our website, transform.org, is your central hub for finding in-depth information on all things transformed. If you've enjoyed Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. And also prayerfully consider joining this labor of love by becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. Thank you for listening. And until next time, go serve your King.